Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike. It has been a minute, but we are still here. We got a lot to catch up on. It's been uh, it's been a few weeks, a little bit longer than expected. Uh, but how are you doing? So are you hanging in there? Yeah, I don't think we've recorded since the recap of the national title game, which I know we were trying to record before then, but life happens. Mm-hmm. I got busy. You got busy. Mm-hmm. Neither one of us was free at the same time. Uh, this kind of stuff happens, but we need a break anyway. We talked about that, and that's what happens after every college football season. We we hit mid-January. We try to take at least a little bit of a break before we jump back in. So all, yeah. all in all, it's not too bad. Yeah, completely. This was not by design, but I, I don't know that it's necessarily the worst thing that's that's happened that we've had to take a couple weeks off here. I know that work's been pretty crazy for you. I've, I've been fighting off like the flu or you know the coronavirus or whatever it's been that I've had here for a couple of weeks now, but... I think we're in uh, we're in good shape here. We've got a lot of things that we've captured over the last few weeks that we want to hit on. Um, are you are you ready? You ready to talk some ACC football? It's been a couple weeks. It's been a few weeks. Let's do it. All right. Let's see what we got here. Uh, we got a couple of different categories. I guess we're, we're going to say of topics we got to cover. Um, first off, before we go any further, we will be addressing listener mailbag questions in this podcast. At long last, it will be happening. I promise. It will happen. It will. So so stay tuned. Uh, before we do that, we got some coaching news. Uh, we've also got some player news, and we're going to hit a, a little bit of National Signing Day, which happened this past uh, Wednesday, that we're, we're going to kind of catch up on a little bit here later in the show. But to start off with coaching news, uh, Mike, Syracuse officially found its D.C. and then lost its D.C. and then found another dis- defensive coordinator. Yeah, that took him a minute. It did. It was kind of unfortunate the way it happened. Uh, Syracuse hired Zach Arnett, who was the defensive coordinator out at San Diego State. He was the uh, D.C., the assistant for Rocky Long out there, who notoriously had some really salty defenses. Um, He was a Syracuse employee for, what, like 10 days or something like that? before. About. He basically pulled a Manny Diaz. Yeah, it was a a Manny Diaz he pulled. Um, Then he runs off to uh, Starkville to go be the defensive coordinator for Mike Leach, which... I'll be honest, being a Mike Leach defensive coordinator has rarely been a positive career step for much of anybody. Uh, yeah, so, that was that, that's quite the decision. Yeah, weird choice. I get that you're in the SEC and all this stuff, but you're just going to be fighting an uphill battle if you're in that spot. So Syracuse then finds themselves once again without a defensive coordinator. Uh, they turn around and hired Arizona State, I guess technically defensive coordinator Tony White, uh, he had really been Arizona State's cornerbacks coach. He had been the defensive coordinator just for the bowl game and was was going to get that full promotion to the full spot. Uh, but he's going to run off and go join the Orange. Uh, he also was previously of the San Diego State program under Rocky Long and all that. So um, that same kind of uh, coaching tree you know, realm that he, they were looking to hire from. And Dino Babers has his man. They're going to run a 3-3-5. And I, I think generally when that system is run well, 
it is it is a mess for offenses to try to, to try to work around. That that can be a really effective system, and I, I really like hiring off the Rocky Long Tree for for Syracuse. Just a matter of whether they can then turn this into something and really make it work. Yeah, it couldn't have been much worse defensively for Syracuse this past year. Offensively, they were really bad as well. Um, didn't they're not real bad, but they just didn't really live up to the hype. Um, it, it was a tough year for Syracuse on a number of levels, and you knew the changes were coming. Uh, on to, on that coaching staff, the fact that they swung and missed on their initial defensive coordinator hire, I, I thought Zach Arnett was actually a good hire, and then he bolts, and then they obviously have to move to Tony White. I mean, I you know, all in all, I think Syracuse did okay here, right? Um, I, I thought it was obviously a really tough situation they were put in when, you know, obviously they have to make the staff changes to begin with, and then you hire Zach Arnett, and they spurns you, and then you're kind of left holding the bag at the end of the day, and uh, you're sitting here in, in late January, early February, trying to make a coaching hire. It's it's not the easiest thing to do. So, yeah, I mean, credit to Dino Babers for going out and getting his guy and being able to kind of uh, turn into a different direction quickly and, and you know, unexpectedly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I Again, I think that's a good coaching tree to hire off of. And, I mean, keep in mind, Tony White officially coming from Arizona State they've had some fairly salty defenses the last couple of years as well, you know, so he's a guy who has clearly been associated with a couple of, of pretty strong defenses here over the last few years. Um, so at, at that point, I, I can't really blame you too much. Um, a guy that was in line to get another power five defensive coordinator job. And I guess technically already had gotten it, you know, before officially getting the job from, from Syracuse and, and Dino Babers. So I, I like that hire. I think that's a good move. Uh, something else that kind of came up that was not normally something that we would hit on, um, just a simple linebackers coach leaving. Uh, Wake Forest linebacker coach Tyler Santucci leaves to go join uh, his old boss and, and his old running mate, Mike Elko at Texas A&M. So old Wake Forest defensive coordinator is now hiring back uh, some of his, his old running mates. Uh, so Tyler Santucci, he's gone after just one year as linebackers coach at Wake Forest. He's going to be replaced by... Greg Jones, the director of player personnel at Wake, he's done a lot of kind of more off-field coaching roles there, but being called up to the big time, is that that good with you, Mike? I think it's fine. I mean, I think for Tyler Santucci, it's probably a no-brainer because you know he's getting a pay raise there at Texas A&M. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that was a no-brainer for him. As far as uh, promoting a, you know, a, essentially a support staffer to linebacker coach's role, you know, they must have thought pretty highly of Greg Jones to kind of take him out of the director of player personnel role that he was in and then roll him back out um, full time onto the coaching staff mm-hmm. uh, in a more hands on manner. Uh, I, I like it from a familiarity standpoint, but, you know, like all of these types of hires, it's kind of like a wait and see until you figure out how good the fit is when they're they're in a more hands on role there uh, coaching the players. But, yeah, I mean, I think from a continuity standpoint, it's good. I, I think Wake Forest kind of having to make the hire when they did uh, once again you know it's not the easiest situation to be in there making a hire in january but the fact that they were able to do that get that done i think it's good yeah it's a bit of an unconventional move to move somebody from an, an off-field role into an on-field role like that especially you know within a power five program um, but jones has been there for several years you know he, he's familiar with the program familiar with the players all this so um you know, it seems like as good a time as any, especially, you know, when these things are happening a little bit later in the coaching cycle and um, you're not really in, in line to find just any given, uh, uh, you know, fill in kind of candidate there. So I, 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 I'm i good with this. I, I'd say don't make a habit of it, but doing this every once in a while, I think is a good move. 
Yeah, Virginia Tech just did something similar with with the uh, running backs coach with Adam Lechtenberg. He was like director of player personnel, at least some sort of equivalent for Virginia Tech, and they they promote him to an offensive assistant role. So it's it's becoming, I guess, more prevalent. But like you mentioned, it's still a bit unconventional to to kind of make that happen. Hmm. A uh, couple more notes here, Mike. Um, Clemson. Clemson loses co-offensive coordinator Jeff Scott. He's going to be the head coach at USF. In response, uh, Tony Elliott, the other co-offensive coordinator, is upgraded to full offensive coordinator. And Mike, Clemson gave him a raise to make him the highest paid coordinator in college football. Clemson's offense has been pretty good, but Joey, like you texted me the other day, I guess we're going to find out how much of the success can be credited to Tony Elliott and how much of it can be credited to Jeff Scott. And how much can be credited to just like they have way better players than everybody else? Uh, this is true. But <laughs> good for Tony Elliott, man. Get your money. I was going to say, in, in like nine, ten games a year that Clemson plays, I could probably be a really good offensive coordinator for them, too, for, for what that's worth. I ran some killer offenses in NCAA football, so yeah, same be here. careful. I actually ran the Clemson offense in NCAA football. That's, that was my, uh, my offensive system of choice. There you go. So, Dabo, if you're looking for somebody else to, to come make a lot of freaking money, you know, scoring a bunch of points on completely, uh, it, it, you know, in, well, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, incomparable defenses? I don't know. Um, defenses that don't stack up to your offense. There you go. Hit me up. DMs are open. Does, does Dabo know what DMs are, do you think? If he doesn't, he does now. <laughs> Doing a public service here on the, the Basketball Conference podcast. Uh, Mike, last coaching note. Hey, I- that, could be, that could be our gateway to that could be our gateway to getting him on the podcast. It sure could. It sure could. That would be uh, that would be a discussion to have. Is one with Dabo. I'd be curious to see what we get out of him. Uh, last thing I got here, Mike, in terms of coaching news. Uh, Miami, M- Manny Diaz has hired a chief of staff. And first off, I never really know what that means. Jeff Collins has a chief of staff at, at Georgia Tech. I don't know if I've ever gotten a straight answer on what that guy does. Um, I've seen other programs with chiefs of staff and – Do you know what that even means? It means they need somebody to bring the swagger back, baby. I guess. Uh, Not only has Miami and Manny Diaz hired a chief of staff, Mike, they have hired none other than Ed Reed to come back and rejoin the U. Um, Ed Reed recently completed his uh, fairly lengthy NFL career. Um, Obviously one of the greatest players in Miami football history. Um, this was unbelievable. Uh, a great hire, I think. A good guy to just have around your program. I think he's going to be uh, related to recruiting and a couple things. So he'll be a really good influence on that on that program. And I would imagine a guy who will bring some consistency, even if they decide to move on from Manny Diaz or whatever. He's a guy that they probably keep around, you know, through multiple coaching staffs. If if it's up to the, you know, if it's not up to the coaching staff to make that decision, at least. I am fully behind bringing a school legend back to represent the university, represent the football program in any capacity possible. So I am on board with this move by Miami. I think it's smart. I think it's good for recruiting. Not that recruiting has been the issue because it really hasn't been, but it is good for recruiting. Uh, It's good for culture. I think at Miami to kind of, you know, bring back the glory days or at least have somebody in the room who, who knows what that's like firsthand because Manny Diaz does not know what that's like firsthand, right? So mm-hmm. I think having a guy on board who can give some suggestions and uh, give some, you know, pointers or 
some advice on culture and, and, and what he thinks could be successful at Miami. I mean, it's just another idea in the room at the end of the day, right? So I do think it is a, it's a good idea to bring these guys back, and I think that having Ed Reed on staff can only help. Absolutely. I, I'm really curious to see. I, I feel like Ed Reed is a guy that they're not going to just keep behind closed doors, you know, in a closet somewhere doing whatever mad science he's going to do. He's going to be in some Twitter videos. He's going to be getting interviewed at points. Like, I want to see some Ed Reed around this program. I think that would be a lot of fun for everybody involved. Uh, yeah, it'd be fun for Ed Reed, too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he uh, he's a guy that always should have a microphone in front of him, I think. But, you know, it's yep. just me. 100%. Uh, Mike, one of the things we should probably hit on, and I don't remember if we did this last time or not, I know that when we last discussed, we were kind of in the middle, I think, of the Baylor coaching search and as it related to Justin Fuente. Um, we got some resolution on that that did not end up happening. Uh, Fuente posts a picture one morning of he and the staff either recruiting or being held hostage. I couldn't quite tell. Um, Probably being held hostage. <laughs> yeah. Everyone looked really thrilled to be there. But, um, yeah, this thing did not really go the way that we necessarily thought it might at the time. Um, and as it stands for now, Justin Fuente ends up staying in Blacksburg, staying the uh, head coach of uh, Virginia Tech. And Dave Aranda ends up taking the job at, at Baylor, uh, moving on from defensive coordinator of LSU. Uh, Dave Aranda seems like a good hire. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give him that. Uh, yeah, I, I think hiring the defensive coordinator of a really good defense off a national championship team. Yeah, you, you could do worse. Hard to blame um, you. Yeah, so it, it's kind of hard. I mean, we're trying to figure out if Justin Fuente even got an offer from Baylor or if he just kind of withdrew his name. Either way, he wasn't 100% sure he was getting this job or wasn't 100% convinced he was going to be all in on it. So he ends up back in Blacksburg. It was kind of an interesting 48 hours there for Virginia Tech because – I mean, talk about the fan base, you know, not really being too happy with Fuente to begin with because of on-field performance. And then think about what that would have been like if Fuente left in mid to late January with really no replacement in hand. That, I mean, he could have put Virginia Tech in a really precarious situation. Whip Babcock's a very good athletic director. He would have figured it out. He would have had guys lined up and he would have gotten a guy who I'm sure, I'm sure would have been fine, but that would have put tech in a very, very difficult situation football wise. And not to mention, and and we'll hit on this later, but also with a, a pretty poor recruiting class shaping up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like the worst in the power five. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's one of those situations where even if you're a Virginia tech fan that maybe doesn't think too fondly of Justin Fuente and maybe don't want him to be your head football coach. This is still probably the worst possible time for Fuente to lose his job or to leave the school. So I think in the long run, it's probably better that he's back. Um, and we'll just kind of see how things go moving forward. Yeah, especially that late in the coaching cycle. I mean, that was one of the things we talked about was you really get into a bind of who do you go to? Where are you going with that? And especially a, a program like Virginia Tech that isn't really in a position to just go around money whipping people out of out of different places. No, definitely like, not. Why their biggest issues? Yeah, exactly. There's there's maybe a, a couple dozen uh, schools in the country that kind of would be in a position to do that, and and probably Clemson and maybe like Florida State would be the only ones in the in the ACC that are able to do that. Right. Um, so certainly not Virginia Tech though right now, and I you know it's. As it was happening, I was sitting there thinking to myself, 
Would it maybe be best for all involved, you know, for Fuente to get a fresh start in a part of the country that he's a little bit more familiar with and all this stuff? And meanwhile, Virginia Tech fans, maybe as they're kind of frustrated with him, get to move on and do something without having to pay him a buyout and and really make that decision and, and fight over all that. Um, and instead, you know, now there's this kind of awkward marriage of everyone's still kind of stuck together, you know. Um, I don't know. I'm... I'm I, I have not been all that shy on this podcast about what I think about Justin Fuente and this coaching staff. Um, and this did not really do anything to make me feel a whole lot better about it. Um, it's, it was just a, a weird situation, at least in the way that it was handled. And, and I, it doesn't seem like it's won a lot of favor with a fan base that was already not really all that thrilled with him. And I, man, I, I am curious to see where we go from here with this, with this coaching staff and this tenure. Um, yeah, I, the craziest part about it is it came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Came out of nowhere, and you, you know you just have to wonder. You know Baylor, yes, it's it's close to home for Fuente. I I would get it would be a he would get a pay raise. Baylor has more money. I get all that, but at the same time, that is a really weird time to kind of step out and see what's out there. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, so we will uh, we'll probably have to keep that in mind and bring that up a couple more times here over the next several months as, as things continue to evolve and um, that just becomes another uh, we'll call it mark on the permanent record or so uh, of Justin Fuentes. Yep. Remember that he kind of tried to, to fly the coop there and then didn't. Um, so very odd. You know, we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Mike, that's all I got in the way of coaching news. Anything else? We got a lot of player news. We do have a lot of player news. Um, a couple of really, really three really important uh, quarterback transfer notes here. Um, and we're going to go not necessarily in order of importance, but maybe in some sort of alphabetical order of some sort. I, that's the best I got. Uh, first off, Clemson backup quarterback Chase Bryce. He was the guy. He's backing up Trevor Lawrence these last couple of years. He was a pretty good uh, four-star recruit out of Buford, Georgia here a few years ago. And, um, you'll remember he was the guy that basically saved Clemson's season a couple years ago when Trevor Lawrence goes out of the Syracuse game with a concussion, and Kelly Bryant has just announced his transfer, and next thing you know is Chase Bryce in the game coming in with Clemson down like a couple scores and uh, led them back, and, and they ended up winning the game. Uh, he announced that he would be transferring. We found out the final destination for his transfer would be the Duke Blue Devils. Um, so he will be staying in the conference. He's going to go play for David Cutcliffe. That's a decision that I really, I'm going to be honest, I can understand quarterbacks making. Um, that, that's, you know, he, Cutcliffe is a guy, and, and say what you want about the Mannings or whatever, but just in general, he's a guy who has a reputation for really getting the most out of some of the quarterbacks that he's had on his roster. I think in general, we could have the discussion of did he get the most out of Daniel Jones or not, and I, I honestly, I kind of think he did. Um but in any case, I, I think this is a good landing spot for Chase Bryce. I think he's going to get a lot of development out of it, and we'll see where it ends up taking him in his career. But I, I think this is reasonably about as good as he could have asked for. Yeah, I'm not sure where I thought he was going to transfer to. So I guess on the surface, Duke was a little surprising, and then you thought about it. It's like, okay, well, David Cutcliffe has coached some quarterbacks to success, not only at the college level, but then getting them into the pros. So hey, if that's what Chase Bryce thinks he can be, and there's no reason for us not to think that 
he could do that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he comes in, and every time we've seen him play, it's either been in garbage time or it's been leading a comeback to save a season. So yeah, um, there's been nothing but positive things to say about Chase Bryce and his limited college action. Yeah. Um, so all good things. And I think him, of course, moving to Duke, it's positive for Blue Devils fans, right? Because Quentin Harris stepped in for Daniel Jones this year, and boy, was it ugly. Mm-hmm. So this is certainly – it can't be worse at least with the little that we've seen out Chase Bryce. It cannot be worse than Quentin Harris was last year. So mm-hmm. I think Duke gets an upgrade at quarterback. It's a position that you know they needed to improve upon anyway with Quentin Harris leaving uh, due to graduation. You know Who was going to be Duke's quarterback? That was a big question. Now Chase Bryce, you know, he's able to transfer. He's able to take uh, participate in spring practice. Uh, he's a graduate transfer, so he's going to be eligible immediately. So all those things are good for Duke uh, moving forward. And you know, for Chase Price at a personal level, I think it'll be good for him to to get the coaching from Coach Cutcliffe as well. Yeah, completely. Um, one of the things that I don't think we necessarily give Cutcliffe enough credit for either, and that I think really will play to Chase Chase's uh, fortunes here, is that one of the things that Cutcliffe does really well is kind of redesign his offense around what his quarterback is good at. Um, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, as you saw Quentin Harris come out running basically the proper – triple option this year. Uh, that, that was something that we have not seen Duke run in recent years at, at all, as they've had Daniel Jones and some other guys as, as quarterbacks. And yet he, he knew that's the skill set of, of Quentin Harris was going to lend itself to that. And whether it worked or not, you know, trying to put himself in, in position by running the triple option there, I mean, do what you got to do, you know? So I think that's the good news. And, and knowing that Bryce has been getting some really good coaching already in two or three years at Clemson and, um, you know, maybe you can make a system to kind of match what he's already been doing and all this. I, I, I think that's a good spot for him. Uh, we had a, we'll, we'll get fully into mailbag questions, but this is one of the questions that popped up. Uh, we got a, a few questions come in on an email from Chris Grondon uh, as a Virginia fan who's a listener. So thanks for reaching out, Chris. We'll, we'll get to most of your questions later. Um, his, his, one of his questions was thoughts on where Chase Bryce will end up. And he's guessing that we'll say Oregon. Um, I would not have said Oregon. And honestly, I, I told you before we started recording, I think if I had to pick somewhere for him to go, I think it would have been like a G5 school, maybe even like South Florida, go follow Jeff Scott there. Right. Um, South Florida, a school that does not at all have an entrenched starting quarterback at this point. They had uh, Blake Barnett was a senior and he was kind of hurt and kind of played, kind of didn't. And then kind of bad. Yeah, you had freshman Jordan McLeod who did not do anything in the way of like really – locking down the job as a quarterback. Um, they weren't particularly good this year. Um, obviously, they needed a new coach. Charlie Strong got fired, all these things. So there was an opening and an opportunity to follow his offensive coordinator down. And I think playing at that like AAC level, it's not technically power five, but it's still pretty high-level football. I think that would have been where I would have guessed he would have gone. But I think being able to take a, the half step up from that to, to playing at Duke, I think will be, will be good for him. Yeah, and you're still going to get some relevant TV games with Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at least in ACC play. So mm-hmm. there's some things to be said for that as well. Not that I, you know, I think there's there could be an argument to be made actually, depending on what AAC school he chose. He might get more TV exposure at a Houston or mm-hmm. at you know at a Temple or at an SMU mm-hmm. than he would at Duke. But at the same time, I'm not sure you're getting the the same level of coaching at those schools that you could be getting from Coach Cutcliffe um, in this particular case. Yeah, completely, completely. Uh, Mike. Boston College got a transfer from Notre Dame. Quarterback Phil Jerkovic. 
Um, yep. He was a guy, he was another, you know, former Blue Star prospect uh, coming out of the Northeast, I believe, out of Pennsylvania. Um, he was he was at Notre Dame for a couple of years, and he played in like seven games this year, but none of them that were anywhere near a close game. So we, we've barely seen him in any way, shape, or form. But by all means, a guy who's really talented, he's got a lot of, of at least physical capability, and he's going to go join Jeff Halfley's program, you know, to, to kind of help kick off that new era to me, I just got. I mean, it feels like a really good pickup for Boston College and a program that people have said what they want. I've never been a big believer in like Anthony Brown and such. Um, I, I never felt like Steve Adazio did a great job of putting quarterbacks in place on that team, and it feels like that might be one of the first things that Jeff Halfley and his staff are able to do well is is get a quarterback in place with Phil Jakovic here. I, I think this is a good pickup for them. Yeah, Jakovic's a you know a former blue chip recruit like you mentioned and that's significant and i think the the good thing for boston college here is that the rest of the country has no idea what phil Trakovic is right like mm-hmm. notre dame does but i think notre dame thought highly of him it's one of those situations here where ian book played so well over the course of the last uh, year or two and mm-hmm. you know he had a little bit of a decline this past year but played well enough to keep the starting job obviously it's been healthy that, yeah exactly um and when he took over from brandon wimbush it was like okay like, is Ian Book the guy? You got Jerkovic, who's, you know, a highly tabbed recruit. I think all along the, the plan was, okay, Brandon Wimbush is going to play the entirety of the 2018 season. He's going to play well, and that's going to be an open competition between Jerkovic and Ian Book. What ended up happening was Ian Book took over the starting job from Brandon Wimbush, never looked back. Notre Dame went to the playoff, and then he started the 2019 season by default as a starting quarterback. And Jerkovic's a backup, and he could never really, you know, overcome Ian Book. So it's just kind of one of those situations where you never really got on track there at Notre Dame. I think this fresh start is good for him. It's good for Boston College. It's a new era. They have a a pocket passing type quarterback who you know provides more of a threat with his arm than Boston College has had in a long time, at least from a tools perspective. So yeah, I think it's good for BC. I think it should be a good start for the Jeff Halfley era, at least having a quarterback in place that Boston College fans can feel good about because, like you mentioned, I think Anthony Brown was kind of the bar there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think good pickup for Notre Dame for Notre Dame for Boston College. Tough loss for Notre Dame there. Um, this this might be the best like pure passer that Boston College has had since what Matt Ryan on paper anyway. Yeah, there's there's potential there. So <coughs> the Anthony Excuse Brown me. truthers are going to be real mad while you're uh, coughing there. Oh, Anthony yeah. Brown. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. The Anthony Brown truthers are going to be really irritated with us. I, you know what? I stand by my, my comments. I, I, I never really believed in Anthony Brown as a quarterback in the way that I think he got some hype nationally. So that's that's just me. Um, keep in mind too that Jakovic is not just a pure pocket passer. You know, he's a guy with some mobility. He can move, so um, he'll he'll help add that element to the offense as well, which hopefully should be nice for them. Turns out Joey is not a Troy Flutie guy. I'm not the biggest Troy Flutie guy either. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just go ahead and start listing Boston College quarterbacks of the 2010s, and I'm probably not a big fan. Darius Wade. Hmm. No. Nope. Not me. All right. Well, I I think we'll end there. (laughs) We'll keep going. (coughs) Sorry. Like I said, I've still got, like, some coronavirus or whatever that I'm fighting off, so don't mind me over here. Glad we do this over camera and not in person. That's correct, yeah. That's best for for you especially. Yes. Um, Lastly, Mike, uh, Miami picking up a transfer quarterback. Houston quarterback, De'Eric King. 
Um, mm. who hmm. was really like notoriously outstanding in 2018. Um, he was there in the last year that uh, Kendall Bryles was his offensive coordinator there for a year before he left for Florida State. Um, and then after that was when um, Dana Holgerson was hired as their head coach. And that relationship soured really quickly. And I'll spare you the history, but at the end of the day, he, he transferred. Um, this is a guy that's going to have a ton, a ton of hype around him. But, Mike, tell me if I'm wrong to be a little bit skeptical about whether Derek King is this, like, real savior coming to the Miami program and the Miami offense. I, My general take on this has been, I'm not really totally sure how much of an upgrade he gives you over like a Nikosi Perry. It's a very similar skill set in my mind. Yeah, we talked about in the last podcast how Miami just hired Rhett Lashley, uh, the former SMU offensive coordinator. So um, we mentioned that in the last pod. So for people screaming, uh, Miami fans screaming at us for the last 15 minutes or so, uh, we covered that already. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's good to bring up because now you have a new offensive coordinator, Rhett Lashley. You have De'Ara King, who obviously has some success at Houston. Yeah, I, I'm i skeptical of it, too, and not because D.R. King can't play. He can. I think he's a good player. It's just he's got a very specific skill set, mm -hmm. right? And Miami has had trouble utilizing their quarterbacks in the best manner possible. Rhett Lashley's done a better job of that, at least he had at SMU. Mm -hmm. I think stepping in, having D.R. King, I think that will help. Um, I, I think having a guy with the mobility I, I think is huge because, like, Nikosi Perry and Jaron Williams – they did some things well. They did not move very well, right? I mean, they were, like, semi-athletic. Nikosi Perry, I guess, a little bit more athletic than Jaron Williams. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like, De'Ara King's got the mobility, but he's probably not as strong of a passer as Nikosi Perry is. So, like, what are we doing here, Miami, right? At the end of the day, like, are you going to be a, a spread option run team at the quarterback position with Rhett Lashley? Are you going to try to spread out and throw the ball? Because... Dear King, you can throw it a little bit, but this isn't like your A one passer, right? Uh, and, yeah. and that's why I'm, that's why I'm a little bit concerned about here with Miami. But I, I do think you know, getting Dear King can only help. But how much? I mean, I'm skeptical. I'm trying to think of a good comparison. So if 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 you haven't really watched him play, I I'm trying to come up with a good comparison, and I'm I'm kind of struggling to do it. Um, if you remember, like the Auburn team that Florida state played and beat for the national title, Nick Marshall was the quarterback that maybe is a good comparison here. So a guy who's really athletic um, came in playing a position other than quarterback, you know, Derek King originally for Houston, his first two years, almost his entirety of his first two years were spent basically as a wide receiver. Um, he, I mean, he ran back kicks and, and does a lot of things and don't get me wrong. He's extremely athletic, but if you're looking for like a refined passer, he's not that. Now that ain't it, Chief. That he ain't it, it ain't it. It ain't it. Now that's not necessarily a problem. It's just a matter of using him right. So you just need to understand that he's not going to sit back there in the pocket and carve up a bunch of defenses. And if you want to point to 2018 and say, "But Joey, but Joey, like he he was a great passer that year." Okay, but tell me how many people have ever played in a Bryles offense and haven't looked like a complete magician? Correct. So I think Miami's hoping that Rhett Lashley can provide some similar type of success. Well, <laughs> okay. But there's a reason that he was coaching for UConn and SMU the last three years and not for, you know, Alabama or something. I'm just saying. No, that's, that's fine. That's fine. I, I I don't think that Rhett Lashley is a an offensive 
you know, warlord wizard in the way that, you know, some of these other guys are, right? Um, I agree. So just just tamper your expectations a little bit. But, I, I mean, all of that aside, I mean, King is a remarkable athlete. Um, you just go back and watch some of the highlights of him, you know, especially in 2018 when he spent a full season as quarterback. He's outrageous. Oh, you get him into the open field, it is it is Good ridiculous. Night. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and sure, okay, he's running by you know AAC competition, but still, like he would he would run circles around a lot of a lot of P five defenses. I think so. He's a, a very very capable guy. You got to get him the ball in space some somehow. I don't care if it's behind center. I don't care if you put him at wide receiver. What you're going to do, but. Um, get him the ball in space and let him do his work, but just don't expect that he's going to stand back there in the pocket and carve up defenses left and right. That's not his skill set. That's not what he's going to do. He's an elite athlete, but Miami has a lot of elite athletes and it hasn't mattered. Right. So I'm skeptical. Yeah, no, they, they have not been short on elite athletes. That's for sure. But maybe this time will be different, Mike. This time will be different. That's what the fans will tell us. That's right. That's what Cam will tell us. Many people are saying. Um, anyways. Sources say. That's right. All right, several more news items here, Mike. Uh, one more transfer into Miami. Uh, Temple defensive end Quincy Roche, or Roche, or I don't know how you pronounce it. Roca? I think it's Roche. Roche? Yeah, whatever. Um, he's coming in. He was one of the more sought-after defensive uh, transfers on the market, so that's a good add for them. Second straight year that they've added a pretty well-sought-after defensive end after adding Trayvon Hill last year out of Virginia Tech. Um, so we will see what kind of an impact he's able to make on that defense. He's a, again, he's a solid player. Um, we got some people adding, uh, adding their names to the transfer portal, Mike, some interesting uh, names here, I think. Uh, yeah. So, uh, some big time, interesting names. Um, so we mentioned Jaron Williams. Well, did we mention Jaron Williams, uh, actually transferring there? I don't know if we actually mentioned that. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, Jaron Williams is transferring. Hello, um, dear least... King. Goodbye, Jaron Williams. Yeah, correct. Um, yeah. So he's in the portal. Uh, Virginia Tech wide receivers, Damon Hazleton, which uh, it's a little bit of a surprise that he's in the, in the portal. I think it was not necessarily a surprise that he wasn't going to return. I think a lot of people thought he was going to the NFL, uh, but he's in the portal. He's a guy who wants to be peppered with about 150 passes. Uh, he ends up at Missouri, so I'm not sure if you're going to get that there, but it's something. Um, so he's gone. Hezekiah Grimsley, uh, Virginia Tech slot receiver. He lost his starting job. Uh, to a freshman, Tavion Robinson, who received the bulk of the snaps uh, for probably the last like seven or eight years, uh, seven or eight years, seven or eight games of the year for Virginia Tech. Hezekiah Grimsley also has um, some family health concerns off the field. Uh, so it was widely speculated that he was going to leave. So a couple different things at work there. Um, but, but he's in the portal. Uh, Clemson backup defensive lineman Xavier Kelly. See you later. Um, he's he's moving on. That's a little bit of a surprise, but Clemson bringing in another really, really strong class of defensive players that we'll get to in a moment. Say Clemson now with only nine elite defensive linemen on their roster instead of instead of ten. Yeah, one man's trash, relatively speaking, is another <laughs> man's treasure. Uh, Duke running back Britton Brown, he's moving on. Uh, actually heading to UCLA, so another athlete for Chip Kelly. I'd God bless him. I don't know if that's going to work out for much longer. Yeah, uh, I don't get yeah, that. I don't, I don't either. Uh, Florida State wide receiver Treshawn Harrison goes to Oregon State. I kind of like that fit. I kind of like that fit. Oregon um, State's sneaky, pretty decent right now. Yeah, Jonathan Smith got him to five wins, which 
I, if, I mean, everybody on this podcast is like, oh my God, five wins? What's the big deal? Oregon State's been trash for like a decade. The fact they got to five wins was a significant accomplishment. Give that man the key to the city. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, that guy can... Yeah, good for him. <laughs> uh, Georgia Tech quarterback Lucas Johnson, he's he's gone, and Joey, I guess, that's not that big of a surprise. No, nah, not really. Um, he was a guy that we kind of thought was going to take over the starting job to start the year, and um, I mean, just between kind of injuries and just general ineffectiveness and some things, I mean, he he lost the job, and, and we hardly saw him down the stretch, and they brought in a couple of you know higher-rated recruits at quarterback between Tucker Gleason and Jeff Sims. I think the writing's just on the wall. I mean, Johnson's a guy who's been there for years. He was recruited by Paul Johnson, and we thought he had a lot of potential, and he probably still does, but just hasn't really been able to put it together. He's he's had a lot of injury problems over the years that, um, you know, hopefully those those end, you know, when he's able to go somewhere else. But he's also a guy from San Diego. You could see him wanting to go somewhere uh, a little closer to home. No shock there. Fair enough. Uh, Miami loses running back Lorenzo Lingard to the portal. And not only do they lose him to the portal, they lose him to in-state rival Florida, Joey. Yeah, very capable running back. We've heard Cam talk a lot about. and Not only to lose that guy, but then to lose him upstate to uh, to your rivals, not the greatest feeling. Now, um, Evidence Joku, brother of David Njoku, mm-hmm. uh, he goes to UCLA as well. So you got a, f- <laughs> you got a couple of... Uh, a couple of transfers there mm-hmm. uh, hang over to UCLA from the ACC. Uh, kicker Bubba Baxa also transferring. So Miami loses a couple of contributors. Mm-hmm. Uh, NC State cornerback Nick McLeod, he's going to transfer as well. And then on the NFL side, Virginia Tech tight end Dalton Keene entering the NFL draft. Also, Virginia Tech running back Deshaun McLeese entering the NFL draft as well. So yeah, um, McLeese wasn't as big of a surprise because Virginia Tech brought in like two or three running backs in the transfer portal um, as graduate transfers. And McLeese was kind of looking at the NFL to begin with. Uh, he ends up making that official. He's probably like a fourth or fifth round pick. Uh, Virginia Tech tight end Dalton Keene, uh, one of the best blockers in the ACC, also um, was one of Virginia Tech's best pass catchers as well. Very elusive tight end. Um, a guy who's obviously very athletic. He's a good blocker. He should project well at the next level, but it was a surprise that he was leaving school early. A lot of people expect him to come back. Yeah, Virginia Tech with with Hazleton, Keene, and Grimsley all gone. That's three of the top six receivers that are not going to be returning and none of which were planned for. And yet, I don't get the impression, Mike, that there's a whole lot of panic or concern over that. Uh, no, I, I think there's a little bit more concern over the receiving core as a whole, um, just because of the unproven depth. Like there were a lot of freshmen last year on the roster that haven't played a lot yet, uh, that Virginia Tech fans just don't know. Uh, so I think there's a little bit of concern over that, but you know, some of the key contributors are still returning. Tavion Robinson had a really nice year as a slot receiver. And then Trey Turner, of course, uh, one of the better receivers in the ACC is still on the roster and. Uh, should move into that number one receiver role. So not not a whole lot of concern at the end of the day, but I think from a depth perspective, now there's more unproven depth. There are freshmen and, and sophomores and, and redshirt freshmen. They're going to get a little bit more playing time here next year than a lot of people were expecting him to. I want to mention on McLeese too, I think we, we texted about this a little bit or, or discussed maybe offline, was he's a guy that I don't know that I necessarily expect too much from, you know, at the NFL level, at the next level. I I just don't. I don't see it. He was never super productive in college, at least on any consistent level. He's got some ability, but 
a lot of times, you know, especially with quarterbacks or wide receivers or whatever, where I would say, you know, maybe you would benefit from spending another year in college at the running back position, you know, go get your money. Yeah. Go get your money. And he probably had his best, not, not probably he did have his best season uh, this past season at Virginia tech and Virginia tech's got a really crowded running back room now with a lot of capable, talented college players who have already played elsewhere, right. That are transferring in and, um, obviously, a guy like Keyshawn King, who got a lot of reps this year as a freshman, will move into a sophomore season and, you know, another year in the weight room. And, you know, there's just not enough carries to go around. Not saying McLeese wouldn't be a factor on next year's roster. He certainly would have been. But would he have had as productive of a season as he just had? Probably not. Yeah. And, and over time, I mean, it, it seems like a running back only has so much, quote unquote, tread on the tires. Right. And right. The, the more of it that you spend in college, the less of it you have left for the NFL. So on the off chance that he's going to turn into something in the NFL, you know, it's hopefully you can maximize your time doing that and, and not, uh, not wasting it in college, you know? Yeah. Head, head into the league sooner rather than later. Never hurt anybody Especially, at the running back position. Yeah. At the running back position. I yeah. Think so. All right, Mike. Uh, I think that's all I've got in the way of player news. Um, I, I could throw in here some things about Georgia Tech getting a couple of offensive line transfers and all this, but I don't think the people really care about that that, uh, that much. Yeah, and I'm sure we missed something, and everybody will come screaming at us for next week's pod. So. Oh, yeah, you can find us at Mike McDaniel SI. Our, uh, our DMs are open, so come check people, us out. Yeah, people are yelling at me there already, so join the club. <laughs> just just get in line. Just get in line. Um, all right, Mike. Well, let's do uh, – we got a little li- listener mailbag. We've got a couple mm-hmm. of questions here or there. Um, really, most of them have come from Chris Grondon. Um, so let's let's go there. As we mentioned, yep. we have the Chase Bryce question. Um, we, we obviously have a result on that. He's gone to Duke. Um, but I, as I mentioned before, I would have thought that he probably was going to go to like an upper-level uh, G5 school kind of thing. So I, I think ultimately good for him that he didn't. Right. No, I agree with that. Uh, next question, Mike. Wake Forest, Jamie Newman, transfers to Georgia. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, man. It depends on what Georgia looks like on offense next year. I think a lot of us are, you know, obviously coming out of the uh, 2019 season wondering, you know, what Georgia's offense looks like moving forward. Obviously, there have been coaching changes on the offensive staff that, I mean, could make a difference, but I don't know. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a weird fit for me. I thought Jamie Newman might be a little bit better suited to go to a, a system that was already established offensively. Now you're kind of stepping into an entirely new offensive scheme on a number of levels because it's going to be new to everybody. It's not just kind of being a plug and play at a place like Oregon, for example, or and I know Oregon lost their offensive coordinator. I, I get all that. But you're in a situation here with Georgia where it's going to be a complete offensive overhaul because they were so bad in some of their games this year offensively relative to the competition they were playing in the SEC that they need to do something completely different and they're going in a completely different direction on that side of the football and the change that's going to be made. It's drastic. And I'm not sure if that's the best fit for Jamie Newman. And he had some other opportunities out there where he could have jumped onto a team where there are just as many athletes as there are at Georgia on the offensive side of the football, like in Oregon, for example, um, in a place that's, that's well-established and, you know, you're not necessarily playing the the competition that you're seeing in the SEC, but I could be completely wrong on this too, right? I mean, if if you know Georgia's offense looks completely different than it did this past year, and they're back to running and throwing the ball really well, and 
um, they're they're able to you know fit the pieces around Jamie Newman in a manner that makes sense. Hey, more power to them. But I just the jury's going to be out on this fit until we kind of see the see the the plays on the field and see some games and and get some of those data points. Yeah, I mean this will come as a, a real shock to you, but I I am concerned for Jamie Newman, and the first thought that I had was like this does not feel like a great fit for him in terms of is he going to a program that is really going to use his skill sets appropriately? Right. Um, you know, as I tried to explain Jamie Newman to people who haven't really watched a lot of Wake Forest football, I would refer to him and tell me if I'm wrong. And this is a, I mean, quite a hell of a, of a comp to make. He reminds me in a lot of ways of like a middle-class Cam Newton. Yeah. I mean, he's a big guy. He's athletic. He's got a rocket arm. He can make a lot of plays in a lot of ways. He runs over people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he's got all the physical attributes you could look for. He, I mean, he throws a nice deep ball. He does a lot of things really well, I think. I, I don't think he's quite on that Cam Newton level of, of just unstoppable at times. But I think that he's got a lot of the same physical traits, and he can do a lot of the same things that Newton can and if you're telling me you're going to go put that in the middle of an offense that, sure, it's under new leadership. Uh, James Coley is gone. Uh, they replaced him with Todd Munkin. But you're going to go put him with a, a first-year offensive coordinator behind a, a pretty much brand-new offensive line in a, in a new offensive system. And there's, uh, like, some concerns and have been some concerns about wide receiver talent and capability there and a team that is noted, you know, notably over the last few years had a, a pretty, I guess, Luddite offense, you might say. It's hand it off, hand it off, throw a pass and punt if you if you must, you know, kind of thing. It's like, I don't know. There's just a lot of that that just doesn't seem like it's going to be super well suited to him and his skill set. Now, Todd Munkin, sure, he's, he's run some pretty good offenses in the past. Uh, he's been associated with programs like Oklahoma State. He's been an OC in the NFL for the last couple of years. You know, so there, there's there's some promise, I guess you could say, but I, I, I just don't think this is a slam dunk kind of situation. Um, I, I don't know necessarily what program I would have put him at. You know, when, when I first heard Oregon attached to the Jamie Newman thing, it was like, oh, that would actually be really, uh, I think that would be really good for him. You know, Yeah, agree. Talk about a program that would use his skills right. Um, so something like that seems like it would have made a little more sense for me. But, you know, going to be a part of a program that's been pretty consistently a top 10 team in the country the last four years, like, at some point, I guess I can't blame you for that. Right. I mean, it's a good program. They're going to be good. They'll be a top 10 team all year. But the ma- the fact of the matter is, is Jamie Newman going to be in a comfortable enough role where his skill set is maximized? And I'm not sure that that's necessarily going to be the case. I didn't feel that way with Jake Fromm for a lot of last year. And Jake Fromm is not the athlete that Jamie Newman is, but Jake Fromm is a lot better, in my opinion, than what he showed. And I think a good bit of it had to do with how he was utilized this past year, right? Because mm-hmm. like there were some really, really good things that Jake Fromm did in prior years. And then last year, it's like an entirely different quarterback. And mm-hmm. it's like, wow, this is really weird. Why is George's offense all of a sudden suck? Yeah. Like it didn't make a lot of sense. And I, I am concerned for Newman in that regard. Cause you know, we've seen Georgia butcher this before, but I mean, again, Todd Monken comes in, maybe things change. He's run good offenses in the past. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I, you know, 
it's it's not impossible. There's a decent chance that we're going to be sitting here in late October with you know feet in our mouths, saying you know how could we have thought this wasn't going to work? But at the same time, if if you felt like he was maybe a little bit more of a dynamic playmaker at Wake Forest than he ends up being at Georgia, I, I don't say we didn't tell you so. Right. <laughs> uh, not to be told you so, guy, but I I don't mind when I can say I told you so. Yeah, might be common. So, yeah, weird fit for Jamie Newman, I felt like. Um, other question from Chris, and I mentioned he's a Virginia fan. He says, what do you think the Virginia quarterback situation will be the next few years? They have uh, Armstrong going into his redshirt sophomore season and Armstead, who just signed and is already enrolled and supposedly has the possibility to fit the Bryce Perkins mold. But Joey mentioned a while ago they should go to the transfer portal, which brings me to maybe that would have been a decent fit for Jamie Newman. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, he, I mean, you think about what Bryce Perkins was able to do in that offense. I think Jamie Newman sliding up to Charlottesville might have been a good decision. I mean, Virginia's offense, you want to talk about a team that was able to maximize what they had offensively with the talent they had at skill positions. And Virginia is losing a lot, right? They're losing a ton of talent at receiver, they're losing a ton of talent at quarterback, obviously, in Bryce Perkins. But if Jamie Newman steps in, he can be that guy to to kind of potentially take them over the top with mm-hmm. or at least bridge the gap to Armstrong. Right. He gets another year of development uh, behind a guy like Jamie Newman. I think it could only help. But, yeah, that would have been a really, really good fit. Yeah, I think so. And especially a place, you know, you want to talk about somewhere that's going to put his skill set on full display. Um, you know, at times I felt like this year we were getting extra <coughs> of <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> felt like we were getting extra of the Bryce Perkins show this year, partially because he just didn't have that much in the way of a supporting cast to like really compliment him. Assis Dubois. That was about it. Yeah. And and I don't disrespectful Joe Reed. (laughs) Yeah. Joe Reed, Terrell Jana, some of those guys helped him at times, but it was mostly just Bryce Perkins putting on a show back there, you know, and that's the same kind of show I could see uh, Jamie Newman putting together. I think that's a slightly different skill set. You know, Newman's probably a little bit better passer. Perkins a little bit more of an elusive kind of dynamic runner, but at the end of the day, you know, you talk about a guy that could go jump in there and show off his whole skill set again. He's already kind of doing that at Wake Forest, but um, you know, just that was a thought. Um, right. In general, regarding the, the Virginia quarterback situation, I do want to address this. Um, I, I we have talked about this before on the show, and what I want to say is. Yes, we really like Brennan Armstrong. He seems very capable. He's a, a, a Virginia kid, and uh, Bronco Mendenhall loves him. And we've seen you know, short stints of action from him, and he's very capable, and he does some good things and all these things. Um, and we got a new freshman coming in, Armstead, who's also very capable, might, might be the next Bryce Perkins there, all these things. At the end of the day, Mike, Bryce Perkins, pretty clearly a generational talent, at Virginia, there was a reason he got all the notoriety that he did. He got noticed as much as he did. He was extremely capable, did a lot of things that most people can't do. And that's why I would say just pump the brakes on thinking that somebody's going to pick it up and just keep going at the same exact speed and effectiveness that he was. It is very rare that you have a generational type of player like Perkins and then you follow it up without some sort of drop-off, especially on offense when you're talking about the quarterback position? I think Armstrong will be good. I don't think Armstrong will be as good as Bryce Perkins. Mm-hmm. I don't think rational UVA fans are asking that he's as good as Bryce Perkins. 
Bryce Perkins was a guy who came in and look, Virginia had trouble at the quarterback position for a really long time. Kurt Benker came in a few years ago. He was okay. He leaves. They bring in Bryce Perkins from the transfer portal. He ends up being one of the best quarterbacks in school history in two seasons. Mm -hmm. And Virginia is not only losing Bryce Perkins or losing Hasis Dubois. They're losing Joe Reed. There's skill talent now at Virginia that's gone outside of Bryce Perkins. So even if Brendan Armstrong ends up being a really good player down the line, which I think he certainly has the capability of doing so. And like you mentioned, we both like him. We think he's, he can be very good. I'm not sure next year is going to be the year just because UVA is losing so much on the offense outside of Bryce Perkins. Mm -hmm. Just a lot of skill talent's gone. And, you know, you have to crawl before you walk and walk before you run. And I think that UVA is going to be in a situation next season where they'll still be competitive. They'll still be good. Will they be as good as this year? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, skill talent that's back. How many of those guys were particularly really effective? Like, especially in the ground game. We, we mentioned all year, the only way that Virginia had to consistently move the ball on the ground was Bryce Perkins. Yeah. Had, you know, try two, three, four different running backs all year, and nothing ever really took hold. Uh, and, and so it just really came down to Bryce Perkins with 227 carries, you know, over half of the team's rushing attempts. Yeah. I mean, the, the running game is what I'm really concerned about now, especially – Look, I mean, nobody uh, Armstrong's not going to be as elusive as Bryce Perkins, obviously. You know, Wayne Tulapapa didn't really show much out of the of the running game. And now, you know, you look at the outside and really all that's left, who was extremely productive, was Terrell Jana. And he's going to be a senior and I'm expecting him to be very good. But now you don't have as much elusiveness at the quarterback position as you just had with Bryce Perkins. You have Wayne Tulapapa, who wasn't great. Right. I mean, he was serviceable, but he just wasn't wasn't a game breaker or isn't a guy who you can rely upon for 20, 25 carries a game to really carry your offense. Mm -hmm. And they look to the outside and your best skill position players are gone outside Terrell Chana. Mm -hmm. So it's reasonable to expect the offense to take a step back. But I do think that Armstrong will be a good player. I think he's going to be the guy quarterback uh, to at least open spring camp. I'm curious to see. Um, in the next couple of weeks, I, we're coming up on spring ball quickly here in the in the next couple of weeks. Once we hear the initial reports out of Charlottesville to see, you know, who's getting the early reps and who looks like they're getting the upper hand in that quarterback position ahead of fall camp, because I think Armstrong can be very good. Um, but again, it's going to be a wait and see with the UVA offense, especially next year. Yep. Uh, and then one more thing kind of along those lines, draft viability of Bryce Perkins. I am curious to hear your thoughts on this, Mike. Well, I think uh, Bryce Perkins' skill set coming out of college, I, I think there's no better time to come out of college than right now if you're Bryce Perkins, right? And obviously, he exhausted all eligibility, but the timing is right. You know, I think the NFL offenses now, for the first time maybe ever, are really looking to the college game to see what they can gain and what kind of advantage they can, they can take. Um, you look at you know, what Cleveland was able to do a couple of years ago with Baker Mayfield, right? When Baker Mayfield was a rookie, obviously he took a step back this past year, but when he was a rookie, he, he comes into a fold. He's obviously really, really good. Um, you look at what Lamar Jackson just did in an MVP season. You look at what Pat Mahomes did with Kansas City last year in an MVP season, this year, Super Bowl MVP. 
Um, and, and you see how they kind of fit the offense around these quarterbacks now that are a little bit more unconventional. They're not the traditional pocket passers now. You know, Mahomes can do, Mahomes can sling it from the pocket. Lamar Jackson, not as good of a thrower as Mahomes, but he can also throw from the pocket. Perkins has shown that he has the ability to throw from the pocket. He's kind of a lighter version of, of Lamar Jackson in that regard. He's not as good of a passer, but he's he's shown the ability to do so, and he's obviously uh, very elusive. And and then you look at what you know the Cardinals did with Kyler Murray and fitting the offense around him, bringing in Cliff Kingsbury, who was just kind of an average college coach, but mm-hmm. you love that offense so much, and you draft a quarterback to fit around that skill set, and Kyler Murray had a pretty successful rookie season for the Cardinals. So I think the NFL game is evolving in a way that fits Bryce Perkins' skill set. I don't know what that means from a draft perspective, but I do think that he has a fit at least into a camp somewhere if he doesn't get drafted. I I do anticipate he will get drafted because of how athletic he is and Mm -hmm. and teams will try to figure out how to use him. Um, I do think he has an NFL future. Do I I know if it's a quarterback or not? It's got to be the right fit. Right. You've got to be in a position where the franchise is going to fit the skill set around you. And I'm not sure how many franchises are going to do that outside the handful that I mentioned. Um, It's going to have to be a first year coach who's open to trying something new or a guy looking to, you know, a veteran coach looking to just completely change the offense, revolutionize the offense, kind of like Joe Brady in Carolina with Matt Rule. You know, maybe that ends up being a fit if they go a different different route with Cam Newton. Who knows? But right. I, yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. And that was one of the thoughts that I had was that I, as much as I tend to try to evaluate quarterbacks skill sets versus what I think the NFL game is and says, like the last five years, we have seen some pretty wild evolution in what the quote unquote NFL game is at this point, you know, and it's, it's changing constantly and, and, and leaps and bounds, I think relative to what we've seen in the 20 years before that, uh, the, the thing that I always get hung up on and I still get hung up on, you know, one way or the other with quarterbacks going to the NFL is when I feel like there's a quarterback who is a better runner than he is a thrower. The only guy that I can think of in the NFL that might apply to that's having some level of success is Lamar Jackson. And that is because Lamar Jackson is a downright elite ball carrier. Um, You talk about a guy who, who can make people miss in so many ways. He is so fast He's so strong. He does so many things so well. And he's a pretty damn good passer. Like, <clears throat> I just don't think Perkins is that good of a runner. Like, he's a he's a good runner, no doubt. But he's not – I don't think he's an elite ball carrier in the way that Lamar Jackson is. And, and I struggle to see – I struggle to see an NFL offense being designed around Bryce Perkins that's successful. Yeah. I, Lamar Jackson, I, athletes like that only come around once in a really long time yeah i mean it felt ridiculous that we were making lamar jackson michael vick comparisons but that's really a lot of what he looks like and you remember that that was what 15 16 17 years between those guys coming out of college yep you know so it it really is a a once in a generation kind of guy and yeah yeah there's there's good player like athletic players and then there's generational players Mm mm-hmm Bryce Perkins is a very good athletic player who was a problem for a lot of defenses that faced him mm-hmm. at, in college. Lamar Jackson is a generational talent. Yeah. Absolutely. As an athlete, just generational. There's a um, reason that the NFL is having such a problem stopping him 
I mean, it's just the individual ability. The way that he can make people just completely look silly in one-on-one situations. Like, I just don't think Bryce Perkins has quite that. Right. And he's done it. And Perkins has done it, but he hasn't done it to the level or to the consistency that Lamar Jackson has. Right. And not a knock on Bryce Perkins. Outstanding quarterback. Really, really good. I mean, really, really exciting to watch. Really good player. But we're talking about two different types of players here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and like you said, I think he's a guy that I think he should be drafted. I think somebody somebody should take a you know somewhere in the fifth to seventh round. I, I think his skill set is absolutely worth taking a, a bit of a risk on. <coughs> wow, <coughs> I am. Uh, this he's is, alive, baby. This is a flu game, I guess, for me. Um, yeah, he's a guy I think you should take a, a risk on at some point later in the draft as an NFL team. I just I wonder about the viability of really working him into an offense in a major capacity and, and seeing him as this, you know, really effective NFL quarterback, whatever that might mean. I, so I, I think he gets drafted. I think he makes the NFL and he'll he'll hang around for a little bit. But I, I I'm not convinced that his game is ever really going to fully translate to being a successful NFL quarterback. Yeah, it's got to be the right fit. So, um, all right, that just about does it for Chris's questions. He has one more question that we kind of already half hit on. It was about Miami's new transfer quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, and we already hit on Derek King, kind of our thoughts there, same thing. Um, his other piece to this was, and hashtag the new Miami. Um, and all I have to say about that is, you know, it, just because they say it's new doesn't mean it's actually new. It's maybe about the same as the old Miami, so to speak. And uh, Manny Diaz, if you, if you told me that he is a guy who has never been a head coach before, before this job, I think I'd believe you, Mike. Wow. Well, would you look at that? I think I'd believe you because it sure seems that way. Yeah. Um, maybe Miami does want to be the old Miami, right? Like maybe the fans want it to be like the old Miami of 20 years ago, of 25 years ago with Butch Davis and Larry Coker mm-hmm. and actual like elite teams. Yeah. Yeah. The new Miami stuff. I mean, it's just a moniker. Try to get recruits in the door. But that's one of those things that Miami hasn't really struggled with. So it's kind of been net zero for them yeah. going with this whole like culture change. It's. It's been a net zero. It hasn't really, I don't think it's damaged anything. Like, I don't think that's the reason why they're not playing well. I, I just think that they're in a spot right now where they need to kind of revolutionize themselves offensively. They're going to try to do that with Rhett Lashley, and they need to continue playing really good defense. And, you know, fans and media have to believe in them. And mm-hmm. even in the 10 win season a few years ago, like the intelligent college football fan was looking at turnovers, right? and the rate at which they were producing them. And you looked at that and you said, this isn't sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. Like, at some point, this is going to bite him in the ass. Mm -hmm. And it didn't for a while, and then it really did at the end of the year when they lost three straight. And defensively, they were really good all year, but the turnovers were a little bit fluky, a lot fluky. And then the quarterback position with Malik Rozier, Rozier, whatever you want to call him, wasn't great. And then... You talk about, oh, man, this can't get any worse for Miami. And then it did. Mm-hmm. Nikosi Perry and Jaron Williams couldn't do anything this year at the quarterback position for the Hurricanes, and it really hurt them. Made you wonder if they missed Malik Rozier, 
and we were joking about that for a while, Joey, but then it kind of became like a serious, like, do they actually miss Malik Rose here? Actually, yeah. <laughs> actually, do they? And it started out as a joke, and it, you know, the way that Miami season went down there towards the end, it was like, wow, they actually do miss him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I. it seems like, and as we've kind of mentioned, you know, the new Miami thing was never really about, well, we're going to get some more talent. It was more like we're going to be more disciplined or something. We're just going to win more or I, I don't know. I don't remember what exactly it was. It was we're going to get our swagger back. I guess we didn't have enough swagger before or something like this. I don't really know. But at the end of the day, we, we see an article, Mike, and this was something I don't think we ever got really got to mention and bring up was there was an article that came out right around the bowl game saying that there were players concerned about other players and how much they really cared about football versus partying and how players were kind of abusing the no suspension for the first failed drug test rule. And there's just a lot of things going on that speak to a culture of indiscipline and um, just in a game that is, it is such a complex team sport. You have to have just basic discipline of people just knowing assignments and knowing what's expected of them and all this stuff and being committed to the team's success and, doesn't really seem like we're getting that from a whole bunch of players on at Miami, and you know, I, I'm I'm sure Manny Diaz will get it right this time. How about that? Nobody's scared of Miami right now, and nobody is going to be until further notice. Mm-mm. And we'll leave it at that. And a lot of people are going to fall, uh, and I'm not going to be one of them mm-hmm. because I, God knows, I was one of them this year. And I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. I mean, you want to know how you end up losing games to Georgia Tech and Duke and Florida International and getting shut out by Louisiana Tech? This is what I'm talking about. Like, Yeah. In yeah. none of those games would you say, oh, we just didn't have enough talent to win that game. You had more than enough talent to win all of those games, and you lost all of them because of poor coaching, poor discipline. Yep. Um, so, you know, maybe at least with better offensive coaching, hopefully under Brett Lashley, maybe it gets better, but I, I wasn't really a big fan of the Manny Diaz hire when it came out. I'm still not. And, uh, you know, you see kind of where this is going so far. I have a hard time picking them and this is, you know, we're pretty early in the off season, but I have a hard time picking them better than third in the coastal next year. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think Virginia Tech and North Carolina from a returning production perspective and coaching staff wise, I think that they're kind of leaps and bounds ahead of Miami right now. Yep. And Miami's got a lot of returning talent and they have a lot of talent, period. Probably more talent than any other team in the Coastal. But until they put it all together, I have a hard time picking them better than third. And there are some teams in there now that I'm sitting there saying, you know what? (laughs) Miami better be careful or it could be like fourth place. (laughs) Yeah, fifth place. Like, how many there's... teams are in this division again? Yeah, uh, six, seven now. I guess seven. I guess seven. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, careful. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of where we're at with the new Miami. It's yeah, yeah. Not not that good. Not highly optimistic. No. Uh, last thing, Mike. We got a couple things we wanted to hit on just with uh, National Signing Day. Um, I think that's all we got in the way of news, all we got in the way of uh, listener questions, all that. National Signing Day, recruiting, uh, final results. Number one in the ACC, typical Clemson. Uh, they yep. were number three nationally. They had a ridiculous class, uh, five five-star recruits. That was the most in the country. 
Uh, another 12 four-star recruits. You know, they were just a, a shade away from having the top overall class. No shock. That's just what they've been doing. That's amazing. Uh, number two in the ACC, the new U, the new Miami. Yep. Great. I, I just, to me, that's great. I'm glad. And they, they had a really good finish. I'll say that. I mean, they, they signed a, a couple of really good guys here uh, on signing day, a couple of guys they really weren't expected to be getting, but they got them anyways. Um, so that's that's great. It's a good job by the coaching staff. But what I would also say is this is not your problem. It hasn't been the problem. Yeah. getting Just getting a little bit more talent on the roster is probably not going to fix what ails you. So That's why we just had a conversation about De'Ara King maybe not making that big of a difference. Right. Exactly. An elite, an elite athlete not making a difference. Right. Why would we say that? Because ah, recruiting doesn't matter to Miami right now. That is correct. So relatively speaking, keep that in mind. Uh, number three, North Carolina, really good class. Number nineteen overall. Um, this is, I mean, Mac Brown and that staff had that thing humming, and uh, just a, a really strong recruiting class. I felt like from them, they are in really good position moving forward. They are. They are. Um. Elsewhere, number four, Florida State, they were 22nd overall. And then number five, my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, number 26 overall in the country. Um, so five in the top 26 there. Uh, Georgia Tech just comes in a little bit short of Wisconsin. Um, I think Georgia Tech was a, a somewhat, in a lot of ways, a pretty big surprise where they finished. Um, this is a team in a program that has historically not really recruited particularly well. And we can go all into that with the Paul Johnson thing and the system and are they good recruiters and do they care to recruit and blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, I mean, first full recruiting class under Jeff Collins and they, they had a borderline top 25 class and number five in the ACC, third in the division. I mean, that's I, that's a pretty impressive you know job here in, in year one, I think. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Georgia Tech coming up a little bit short of Wisconsin. We're used to that with Miami. Yeah. <laughs> um, good. Okay. So shout, shout out Jeff out Collins. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Shout out Orange Bowl. Um, Jeff Collins uh, recruiting his ass off. So you lo love to see that as a Yellow Jackets fan. Uh, that's really good. Also, uh, Mike Norvell. Shout out to him and his staff coming in and then being able to retain a lot of those guys and finish pretty strongly. I mean, Florida State's used to having top five classes, top ten classes, but still have a top twenty-five class with the coaching change. I think that's significant. Yeah, I, I was going to mention, I, I felt like there was <laughs> like a slight teardown rebuild effort on this recruiting class from Norvell when they came in. And um, to be able to do that in a, a pretty short time, they got a couple of really good players out of there. I know one of the, the big names was Chuba Purdy, Chuba Purdy, whatever his name is, uh, brother of Brock Purdy over at uh, Iowa State. Um, they got their quarterback in even after losing Jeff Sims to Georgia Tech, so... Um, I, I feel like they, they closed really well and, and pulled together a really nice class, all things considered, uh, for a program like that going through the transition they've been going through. So really nice there. So those are your top five teams in the conference. Uh, once again, that is Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, Florida State, and Georgia Tech. Here's where the, the drop-off happens, Mike, is number six in the conference is NC State. And Georgia Tech was number five at number 26 overall. NC State, number six, at number 41 overall. Um, hmm. Followed by Louisville at 42 overall, Pittsburgh at 44 overall, Virginia at 48 overall. So there's a pretty drastic gap there in, in recruiting quality. And 
this is just one year, it's just one class, so you know we'll we'll have to wait a little bit to make a full determination on what that's going to mean. But it it seems like you're you're starting to maybe work your way a little bit towards territory of certain ACC teams having a pretty drastically different talent level than the rest. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised that Louisville didn't do a little bit better than they did, considering the on-field success, considering Satterfield. For what it's worth, he recruited well at App State. It's all relative, but it was a little bit of a surprise that he couldn't pull a little bit better class uh, than than what they were able to put together there at Louisville. So that's the biggest surprise out of that group. I, I feel like this is one of the lower-ranked classes we've seen from NC State in recent years too, as well. They're, yeah. They're which... a team usually more in that top 30 range, I felt like. Yeah, which, I mean, on-field success probably hasn't helped them. They didn't exactly play all that well this year, and who knows what happens with Dave Doran moving forward. they got to get that thing figured out quickly, and not bringing in a great recruiting class is not a way to do that. Yeah, completely. Uh, Mike, if I had told you coming into the year that Virginia was going to have a better recruiting class than USC, we would have thought, you know, Bronco Mendenhall just stockpiling some crazy talent, huh? Or we would have thought that Clay Helton lost his job. Yeah, at a really inopportune time or something like that. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. That, that was one of the stunners of, uh, of the season, I think. Uh, yeah, and neither one of those things happened. Like, Virginia had a, a good, I mean, very good year, ACC championship. But, yeah, USC, not a great year. Mm-hmm. Um, make a bowl game, but not a great year, and they kept their coach, which was a surprise. Number 59, Syracuse. Number 60, Duke. Number 61, Wake Forest. Number 63, Boston College. So another little cluster there. And honestly, Mike, that Boston College number is low. It's it's kind of where it's been for them in recent years. Yep. But I expect with this staff, you know, Jeff Halfley was a guy who recruited extremely well at Ohio State. And sure, you could say what you want about him recruiting at Ohio State, where how hard can it be? But at the same time, I mean, there's still something to be said that a program like Ohio State wanted you recruiting for them, you know. So I think there's some some ability there, and I, I expect that will be better in future years. Although what that means is kind of yet to be determined. Yeah, I mean it's hard to recruit to Chestnut Hill, but he just brought in Phil Dracovic, so who am I to doubt him? Yep. Uh, and then, Mike, unless I missed anybody, I believe bringing up the rear, your Virginia Tech Hokies at 71 overall. Uh, yeah. Rough, rough class for the Hokies, and I think my big takeaway here. One recruiting class like this will not sink your program. Two recruiting classes like this will sink your program. Do not do this again. Yeah, 2021 looks like it's it's shaping out at least early to, to be better. Um, yeah, this is they had some misses in this recruiting class, obviously. Um, they closed strong. like They brought in a couple high-level three-star kids out of Texas. Uh, a couple big takeaways. Virginia Tech is not recruiting the state of Virginia very well right now, but they are recruiting the state of North Carolina and Texas well right now. So I don't know what that means moving forward for how good this thing looks overall. But I think Virginia Tech could use some in-state kids and get back to winning the state. But when you have schools like North Carolina and UVA and even like schools like Penn State pulling in some of the top talent in the state of Virginia, it makes it difficult. So Virginia Tech's got to get back to playing good football. I think that'll go a long way. Number two, it was going to be a small class to begin with. So Virginia Tech could not afford to have some of the misses that they had. And once they had some of the misses of their top prospects, it was going to be an uphill climb to put a good class together. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, size of the class matters more when you miss, mm-hmm. right? 
So when you put together a small class, I think it was only 13 or 14 kids Virginia Tech had. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, but it's 15. Up to 15. So not a huge class for Virginia Tech to begin with because they have so many freshmen and sophomores on the roster. But size matters to recruiting when you miss, hmm. not when you bring kids in. If you have 13 or 14 kids in your recruiting class, but 10 of them are four stars, you're going to have a highly, highly rated recruiting class. When you have 13 or 14 kids and almost all of them are three stars, you're not going to have a great recruiting class um, average-wise. And that's what happened at Virginia Tech this year. They had some key misses where they couldn't. And it was a bad year to have it, considering the size of the class was going to be a factor. Yeah. Yeah, between that and then not, not to mention all the other nonsense going on around the program with questioning of Fuente and, and all the rumors and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, only, only six wins like the year before these kids were going to be seniors in high school and they had to make a decision about college like yeah yeah not great not great formula there yep so i i generally expect that they're going to get that fixed that's not going to be the the new norm for virginia tech or for justin fuente but you know this is your uh this is your mulligan here (laughs) this is the one yeah uh, can't do it twice don't mess up again yep but in any case um any other big notes here? Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think generally recruiting has been what it is. I think Georgia Tech and North Carolina getting pretty big boosts from their recently hired coaching staffs. But otherwise, I mean, the ACC has top to bottom generally not been a particularly strongly recruiting league in, in recent years. I, I wish that weren't the case, but... You know, when you look at the top 10 uh, of overall teams and seven of them are SEC teams, like there's just a different level of, of dollars available and being spent yep. and such at those programs and all this. Like it just sort of is what it is. And it's not necessarily ACC program's fault as much as it is just kind of the world we live in for better or worse. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And you know, schools like NC State, schools like Virginia Tech, schools like Louisville, they're going to have to get back into the top 30, 35, right? Mm-hmm. And for some of the schools like Virginia Tech and like Louisville, maybe back into the top 25 would be good yeah. because, you know, you don't want, to, don't want to be slipping like this. And NC State, a little bit lower than they've been, but they're generally a top 30 to 35 uh, recruiting school. And, you know, what were they down to 41 this year, you mentioned? Uh, yeah, yep. Yeah, so got to do a little bit better on the field. Got to do a little bit better off the field. Yep. I, I will say the the big thing with Louisville, I think that that staff is going to have to really work on is recruiting in-state. Um, Kentucky, the last couple of years, has really taken over re- recruiting of the top-level players in Kentucky. Um, Louisville, and especially in town, I mean, there is some really good fo- high school football played in the city of Louisville. That team and that staff have really got to get a better handle on that and get some of those guys rather than uh, letting them go out of state or, or go across the state to Lexington either way. So uh, I think that's the big thing to watch with this coaching staff here moving forward with how they recruit. Yeah, it's going to be a rivalry both on and off the field, even more so than usual with the way that Kentucky's been playing recently. Yep, completely. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else on signing day or anything at all while we're here? We had a lot to catch up on, so it ended up being this has to be over an hour at this point. Oh yeah, yeah, we're at almost an hour and twenty. So. Oh yeah, there you go. We uh, yeah, we've we've gone on for quite a while here. We've had a lot of thoughts been stewing, and we had to get out. So, hopefully, this has been a uh, an enjoyable listen. And as we get all these thoughts out, so, um, 
other than that, I think that's all I've got for now. We have to come back and uh, talk about some more things here soon. Yeah, or else we're going to have an entire buildup of news and information, and then we're going to have to do another hour and a half podcast. So Yeah, and nobody wants that. Right. Or they do. I don't know. People might be still listening at this point. Who's to say? Let us know. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, Mike, let's get out of here. Let's go uh, take some more notes and come back and talk about some more things as we go through the offseason here. We'll do our best. All right. All right. Well, in the meantime, y'all can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SI. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. And I'm going to try not to cough, but it's not going great. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. Most importantly, Mike, they can find us on uh, Anchor. And we ask that they do and appreciate those who have. Uh, they can send us an email with questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. And thank you to those who have, especially to Mr. Chris Grondon, who supplied us with a lot of good questions for this episode. Also to Brian Smith, who unsubscribed because he didn't like our UVA takes. Yeah, go who's. Um, shout out Brian Smith, a, a loyal listener who is no more, apparently, unfortunately, but, you know, such is life. So, um you know, we appreciate those who have stayed subscribed through good and through bad, but um, thick and thin, baby. Thick and thin. That's right. Just like, just like marriage. That's right. <laughs> Let me tell you. <coughs> oh, this is not good. <coughs> okay. Um, let's see. Where were we? Facebook. <coughs> Go. <coughs> Facebook.com/slash/basketballconference. Rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, ladies and gents. Oh, please do. Please do. If y'all want to like. Venmo me some money so I can get a microphone that actually has like a cough button on it. That would be uh, that would be wonderful. Or if you want, just Venmo Joey money so you can buy some cough medicine. Maybe yeah. <laughs> that's also an option. Or beer, or you know, whatever. Any of that works at this point. A zillion beers, even. <laughs> oh, specifically Friday beers, but you know, that's just yeah. me. Specifically. Yeah. So if you're not really sure what we're referring to there, uh, just check Twitter. It's up there. Go on the internet. Yeah, yeah. internet is good for everybody. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? I think we're good because I'm blowing my nose. You're coughing. Oh, yeah. Um, it's going great. I'm not sick that I know of, but I could be. Yeah. Oh, you just wait. <coughs> <coughs> hmm. I'm not thinking. I promise. <coughs> wow. Okay. Well, at the risk of having anybody have to listen to my coughs anymore, uh, we're going to get out of here. <laughs> Mike, you want to come back and... Uh, get more caught up to date on some other news and items that come out as they come out. Yeah, we'll be back soon. We'll try not to go for three weeks again. Yeah, we'll try. We'll see how it goes. All right, Mike, we'll talk soon. Yep. All right. Well, for that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.